All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode. Woo! What up, everybody? Woo! All right, so uh, interesting setup today. Uh, part of the reason why we've been kind of delayed in getting some episodes out is we've been looking at some new software with just distance between us and uh, ease of recording. So we have been transitioning to a solely online platform to record. So this is actually our first time recording. Uh, so we hope that it works. Uh, we hope that there's no major audio issues or anything, uh, but we're just happy to be back. So Father Kevin's in Harbor Beach and uh, Mary Kate and I are in Freeland, but actually uh, recording in two separate rooms because I didn't know how to hook up two microphones to one computer. So <laughs> here we are. That's so, fair. Yeah. Friends, welcome back. It's good to see you. It's good to be able to put this together. Right. So uh, we, I don't think we've really talked since before Christmas. So did you guys have, each of you have a nice holiday and everything? Mm -hmm. I did. Yeah, it was beautiful. To, I think the last uh, time we actually did. Go ahead, Father. Oh, we got some lag. That's <laughs> the beauty and the challenges of technology. But um, yeah, I, I would just say it's, it was very special having my first uh, Christmas at the parish and uh, just the way that churches are always decorated so beautifully um, at Christmas time is always a gift. And so being able to experience that, even though the weather was super crazy, like the couple days before Christmas, just, you know, low visibility and it was just awful out here, but um, we made the most of it. And yeah, it was a blessed time. Were you able to go home at all? Yeah, the day after Christmas, I, uh, well, so the Christmas day, I was actually feeling pretty sick. So I did all the masses and then I just spent the rest of the day sleeping. But then, yeah, the next day I was able to go home and see family. So that was a gift. Yeah, we, we had a pretty low key Christmas as well because of the weather. So usually we'll go over to my parents on Christmas Eve in the morning and the early afternoon. But because of how the weather was, we weren't sure if we'd be able to. So my parents just kind of canceled it before uh, beforehand. Um, so yeah, we just kind of had a low key Christmas Eve and then Christmas we were at home with the kids and they opened all their presents and the house was absolutely a wreck for the rest of the day because of toys everywhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then the day after Christmas, we went over to my parents and, and Jason's parents and, and kind of hung out and spent time with them. Nice. Yeah. I had to drive through the awful weather. Um, so that was interesting. Even though I could have left early, but I chose not to. I told you to, to leave I beforehand. Yeah, you're not the only one. Several people told me to leave beforehand, and I chose to leave on Saturday. And uh, for those of you who are not in the Michigan, Ohio area, or uh, any of the states that got hit by the winter storm prior to Christmas, uh, it was a lot of ice and cold and not fun to drive in, and yet I chose to drive in it. But we made it home, and it was good. I was grateful to make it home, and quick 24-hour trip home. No, 24-hour, 48-hour trip to my parents and then back. So, and then I was busy every From what I heard, night. I think Buffalo got hit <laughs> way more than we did. Yeah, I think so. I think they got major, major snow. So, yeah. But even, like, still, Ohio got more ice than snow. So, that, I think that made it worse. Um, but... Ice and snow, bless we the Lord. We survived. It was nice, a little nice, little getaway. Yeah. So now we're back into the swing of things. So, and huh, this is going to actually lead into our topic for today. Uh, we lost a great, uh, a great spiritual father, a great mentor, a great leader, um, and shepherd of the church on the last day of the year, 
December 31st. It was December 31st, right? Yes, that was a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. And um, for if you've listened to the podcast for any length of time, you know that we valued him as our like patron saint is what we said. And so now we truly have a heavenly intercessor. So Father Kevin's going to take lead on this episode as we just kind of talk about what uh, this great man, this great theologian has meant to us. So I'm going to hand it over. Father? Yeah, thanks, Emma. It's, you know, you mentioned towards the beginning there the um, fact that we lost kind of a spiritual father. And I think what many people don't realize is that the word Pope actually comes from the word Papa. So I I think in the early church, even bishops were all called uh, this kind of affectionate term like Papa, but then it just became known as uh, the Bishop of Rome. So I I've been trying to show people that, you know, the Pope is more than just like this CEO of a corporation or something like he he truly is a spiritual father. And uh, I don't know what your experiences are. I know we'll all be able to go around and share a little bit about um, how it is that we got introduced to Pope Benedict. And um, I I know at least in in my world. So I, I think he became Pope around 2005 or so. And I wasn't super into like thinking about things that were going on in the church at that point in my life. And um, I knew we had a Pope, but I, I, I probably couldn't even tell you at that point that it was Pope Benedict. And so um, there was like a disconnect that I had with him for a, a number of years. And I know that the mainstream media always kind of portrayed him as this very like conservative, rigid figure. But when I actually started to read his writings, I think I was in seminary, so it was probably around the time that he was uh, getting ready to resign that I actually started to go back and uh, read some of his writings and learn a b- little bit more about his life, and I was just really drawn by his writings. He was an excellent teacher. He could take these very complicated topics and just synthesize it and present it in a very um, simple way, but also with kind of like these poetic undertones so that it's it's really, uh, he, he could make things just very accessible um, when he wrote on various things, anything from Jesus to the liturgy to, you know, teachings on the church, etc. Um, he was just a prolific writer. And uh, I think as well, one of the other things I was going to mention was um, his, so his funeral, I, I didn't watch a lot of the funeral. But a couple things that stuck out to me was I I had forgotten that when a pope dies, they don't embalm the body just in case when they're buried and they um, Mm want to investigate the body later on for the cause of canonization. They want to see if um, he's incorruptible or not. So he was just lying there in state. And uh, that's when it really hit me because I, I guess I... He was living such a hidden life during his years after he had resigned that... It was almost like every once in a while I had to remind myself, oh yeah, he's still alive, right? Because he was so out of the spotlight that you forget that he was even living. So it was a little bit of a shock when um, I, I heard that he passed and then seeing the images of him lying in state. But then the, I, one of the other things that really got me was, so he was in, if you, if you saw pictures of it, he was in red vestments. And the red was supposed to symbolize the fact that he is a successor of Peter, the first pope who was a martyr. And even myself as a priest, uh, all, all of the priests were encouraged to celebrate a mass in his honor, in his memory. And uh, usually when we say a mass for someone who has died, uh, the priests will wear white, they can wear black, they can wear uh, violet. But at a pope's passing, when you want to say a mass in his memory, the priest is actually allowed to wear red as well, which I had never 
experience before. So that was really powerful to be able to like wear those red vestments and be praying for this uh, Pope who has passed away. Obviously, it's the first time that that's happened um, in my lifetime to be able to do that as a priest. So I know those were all things that I was kind of learning or experiencing for the first time. And I guess I, I have other things to say as well, but I'll just kind of pause there. And uh, Mary, maybe Mary Kate, if you want to share some of the thoughts you've had uh, since his passing. Yeah. So for me, um, when he became Pope, I was 12, I think. Um, and I remember very clearly, I went to a small private Catholic school and um, we stopped classes for the day and just went and watched um, the TV and watched um, him come out onto the balcony and, and greet everyone. And so that was my first time seeing or ever hearing of this man, uh, Joseph Ratzinger, who became Benedict the Sixteenth. Um, and I just feel like he was the right guy to follow up after JP2 because you have JP2 who is this absolutely amazing man, amazing Pope. Um, and so you needed someone who was going to be able to really follow up after that. And I think Benedict did such an amazing job in his papacy in leading the church. Um, and I've heard several people say they will not be surprised if he becomes a doc if they name him a doctor of the church. It, and it, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me, too, with everything that he's written and, and given the church. Could you maybe explain real quick, too, for those who don't know, like what it means to be a doctor of the church? Because I know even when I was in seminary, when I first heard that phrase, I was like, so he like cures people who are sick. Like, can you just explain what a doctor of the church means? Yeah, so a doctor of the church is not a regular medical doctor. A doctor of the church is someone who, um, through their life and their writings, has really blessed the church with a lot of um, theology and deep theology. And, and uh, some recent doctors of the church are actually um, St. Teresa of Lisieux, one of only four women doctors of the church. Um, there's St. Teresa of Avila, St. Catherine of Siena. I think those are both um, uh, mm -hmm. doctors of the church as well. So basically someone who has really blessed the church and especially in their writings. Yeah, and I think the word comes from uh, docere in Latin, which I think means to teach. And so we even see that in the word doctrine. So just some fun facts for the listeners. Emma, what are uh, your thoughts? Oh, so... I was actually away from, I was still away from the Catholic Church when he was uh, Pope. Well, when did JP2 pass away? What oh, year was five? that? 2005. Five, okay. So I would have, I would have still been in the church with JP2. Uh, and, and so I think it would have been right at the beginning of Pope Benedict XVI's um, pontificate when I started to veer away from the church. Uh, and then I, I was away when he resigned, and I came back when Pope Francis, uh, when he, and he's still, you know, obviously Pope, so, but it, it was after he was elected Pope. Um, so I really didn't dive into the readings, into the, the message of what Joseph Ratzinger, the you know, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, what, uh, what he was really after until I started asking questions about the faith and what is it that I'm searching for, right? What I love, if you read the writings of Benedict the Sixteenth, 
or Joseph Ratzinger, uh, if you read them in the correct light, not just as like this is a theological document, but that it's his personal prayer for the search of the face of Jesus, right? Like that, and you can tell that through his writings. Because I've I've had some people say to me, "Oh, well, his writings are so hard to to read," and then I encourage them, "Well, read them through the light through the lens of like a prayer." Right, that this is his prayer to seek the face of Jesus, and so uh, I, I really appreciate his writings. It, and for me, it was a mode of conversion because he writes how I process and how I think and how I pray. Where I'll take all of the intellectual intellect, right, uh, the intellectual things that was that was a repeat sentence, <laughs> but so all of the intellect, right, the the theology, the head stuff. And then that transforms my heart, right? So uh, he writes in such a way where, yes, he gives you the theological background to it, but then it it also is his prayer and it transforms his heart. And so uh, for me, that was critical when I was coming back to the church. And, and actually for Christmas, uh, I forgot that I had put this one, it was the Joseph Ratzinger book in my mom's Amazon cart, and it was The God of Jesus Christ, His Meditations on the Triune God. And so I got this book for Christmas, and then only a few days later did he pass. And it was just that special realization of, wow, this little book of his meditations on the Trinity, and now this is what he's experiencing, right, in his passing. So it was a, just a cool, uh, cool little realization. And obviously, I'm only a few pages in because you can't just breeze through a <laughs> Ratzinger book without having to stop and ponder it. So... Uh, I was very grateful for that, and also just very grateful for his peaceful witness, right? That no matter where he went, there was just this peace about him. And people would say the same thing about JP too, right? Uh, but there is, again, this this very mystical presence about him. And, and obviously then, too, the work that he did in the liturgy. Uh, I love Spirit of the Liturgy that he wrote along with... Uh, Romano Gordini. I know that they he pulled a lot from Romano Gordini. It was very influential on Ratzinger's writings. So uh, I'm very grateful for any of the work that he's done on the liturgy. Of course, that's probably not a surprise to anybody who listens to the show. So, but uh, for me, I was just grateful for his writings, right, and in the work that he's done in theology and spirituality too. So, I also thought it was ironic how when we all found out that he had passed away we all had varying degrees of thoughts about hey now he can actually be our patron saint <laughs> right we can actually because we for all his had texted each other that <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and i had like moments before i think it was mary kate i th- or maybe i can't remember who it was of you two that had said well now we have a hev- heavenly intercessor and i had just told somebody walking into mass you know oh we finally have a heavenly patron for our podcast so mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yeah, it's a, it's a beauty, right? Like it's, it's cool. Jason and I for years were laugh. We would laugh and be like, it wouldn't surprise us if Benedict ironically outlived Francis since he retired from the papacy. <laughs> like how crazy would that be? <laughs> right. Yeah. But it didn't happen. I so. do appreciate uh, speaking of Francis and Benedict the 16th together. Uh, you could tell in the funeral mass the great love, like just this really deep brotherly love that Francis has uh, for Benedict the Sixteenth, right? That you could tell that he was there was a, he was hurting, right? That he was grieving, 
Uh, but there was also that sense of hope, right? That, and even I think, uh, I think Benedict would even say, like, I mean, Christians that hope live differently, right? And you could see that though in Francis that while he was sad, he he really had this faith and hope that uh, that that his friend was enjoying the the glories of heaven, right? Or that he would be there, right, uh, amongst our prayers. So I think that that's. That was really beautiful for me to witness that there's this this really uh, deep fraternal connection between them. Uh, it just makes me think about how, um, yeah, as you're saying that, it makes me think about how we, just as humans, we like, we, we want to bond with someone who can say, I know what you're going through. I've had this experience before. And so, like, moms do that with other moms. Priests do that with other priests. Um, but then to think about like a Pope very rarely has the chance to do that, right? Because any other Pope out there is dead. So at this point, you know, this is the first time in what, 600 years that you had a Pope resign and then another Pope who was, um, reigning more publicly. And so, yeah, I wonder what that would have been like to have been able to talk to somebody who had experience as Pope and to be able to say like, what would you do in this situation or what, how did you handle this? And how that must've been such a uh, gift for Pope Francis to have somebody like that, because there's nobody in the past 600 years who has been in that position where they can talk to someone who can say, yeah, I can relate to what you're going through. So I don't know. That was just striking me. Well, it's part of It's the beauty of the body of Christ, you know, and we're handing down. And I think, even at that, you know, this just popped into my mind as you were talking, Father, that uh, it's the true beauty. And I think we saw the the reality of apostolic tradition being handed down, right, amongst them, right? Here was Pope Benedict XVI and then now Pope Francis. Like, you could see that this su- succession has happened um, in a very more, in a more visible way, right? And so, uh, it, it, it enforces the, the value of tradition and how we hand down the faith, right? But yet, at the same time, recognizing the individuality uh, of each pope, right? Uh, because Pope Francis is not Pope Benedict. Pope Benedict the Sixteenth was not John Paul II. You know, so the individuality. But yet, the core of what they are standing for, right, as being the vicar of Christ on earth, is still the same, even in the midst of their unique personalities and who they are. Yeah, and I think um, w- one way that that hit home for me was I didn't watch all of the funeral proceedings but one of the things that happened was they were transferring his body from wherever it is that he had passed to wherever it was that they were doing the public showing um forgive me for not remembering all the locations but at one point the cameras were recording as his body is being transferred and you could see in the background saint peter's basilica so it's this beautiful shot Mm -hmm. of like this successor of peter who has just passed and he's wearing red in honor of uh, St. Peter, the first pope who died a martyr. And you have this shot of him going across this road where St. Peter's Basilica is in the background that houses the remains of St. Peter, the first uh, pope. So that that was like a beautiful image for me to think about that idea of um, apostolic succession and the popes all the way going back from Peter being passed down 2,000 years to now uh, this pope was uh, a really powerful uh, image to keep in mind. I think another cool thing that I learned after he passed was that popes are buried in three coffins. Did you guys hear about this? I did not. Yeah. So um, 
There's three coffins. One is cypress, one's lead, and one is elm. The cypress is the innermost one, and it holds the Pope's body, as well as a copy of the eulogy given at the funeral mass. It holds three bags of coins, one silver, one gold, and one copper, and the number of coins in each bag represents the number of years a Pope served. Um, and it also symbolize the, the simple wooden coffin symbolizes that he was just an ordinary human being like everybody else. Um, and then it's sealed and wrapped in three silk ribbons before being placed in the lead casket. And the lead coffin is soldered, soldered shut. It's engraved with the Pope's name and the dates of his pontificate. Um, and then, um, there's the elm coffin, which the lead casket is placed in the elm coffin, and that's nailed shut um, with golden nails. Um, and it's the elm is to signify the great dignity of the man being laid to to rest, um, since elm is the most precious of local woods available in Rome. And then it says a few other things, but I think that's like super cool. I did not know that mm-hmm. about the three coffins until when he passed away just a little bit ago. Well, I mean, it, it, it isn't there, it, the three coins, doesn't that, uh, isn't every year, like a Pope only gets three coins or something, or am I making this up? I thought that I had read potentially somewhere that there were like three different coins or something that a Pope gets. Uh, forgive Is that me for something not to knowing. do with Peter's Pence? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I guess that could be our homework to maybe do more research. Or if any of our listeners know, they can share that with us. Um, yeah. Because I thought that was cool, too. Just the coins, right, that they also get. And then I also was struck by the gold nails. I was like, that's interesting, gold. But it's a pure, I mean, that's a pure metal, right? And it's a, um, yeah, I, you know, a, a, a one of the top metals. And so makes sense. But I thought that was interesting. Yeah, the, the three different coffins. And isn't he, he was buried in the tomb of where JP2 was buried before he was exhumed for his beatification, correct? I think. And then I believe so, yeah. John the 23rd, St. John the 23rd was also there too, I think. So then Benedict was placed yeah, in that JP2 same tomb. because JP2 is in the main church. Right, right. And I think so is John the 23rd, isn't he? I think possibly. I think I can't so. remember. Trying to, to remember from when we were there. It. Yeah, it's uh, my goal to get to Rome one of these days. I know for a fact we saw JP2. You did see JP2? Oh, yeah, we saw JP2. One of my friends, uh, they, her and her husband, actually got a picture uh, with Pope Benedict the Sixteenth uh, right after, just a couple of days after their wedding. Uh, I'm not going to name drop her because I don't know if she really wants to have her name dropped on the podcast, but... Uh, she has this beautiful picture. Yeah, they have this beautiful picture of Pope Benedict coming along and uh, giving them a blessing, or at least shaking their hands. Um, it was it's a it's a beautiful picture. So that's awesome. Uh, you can I can tell that they he is greatly uh, greatly impacted their lives um, as well as you know clearly many others. So yeah. So what is that? I can't see that. That's our Mary Kate that's Shrine. our selfie with Pope Francis. Oh, nice. That's nice. Mary <laughs> Kate is currently showing us a picture on her phone of her and Jason with a selfie of Pope Francis. 
Was he even looking he had at the already camera? Passed us by. No, he oh, had already okay. passed us by, but we were like a foot away from him. I mean, that's closer than I've ever been to the Pope. Kev- Father Kevin, have you been to Rome? I'm assuming yes. I have Question. been to Rome, yep. And uh, so I'm feeling kind of spoiled right now because I will be going on uh, World Youth Day this upcoming summer. And part of me was like, Ugh, I've already seen the Pope twice. And that's how I know I'm super spoiled. So I haven't like seen him like super close up. But I, when he came to D.C., I was at the Mass when he canonized um, Unipero Serra. And like he walked kind of right in front of me for the procession at Mass. And then when I was in Rome for part of the seminary studies, just for like a week or so, um, we, we went to one of the general audiences in uh, St. Peter's Square. And again, I saw him from like, I don't know, maybe a, a few feet away. And uh, so, yeah, so I've, I've been able to see Pope Francis a couple of times. Um, again, not sit down and have a conversation and shake his hand type of deal, but at least was, you know, within 10 feet of him a couple of times. So. Now that you mentioned that, I actually have seen him twice, too, because a group of us from SVSU went to Philadelphia and saw him when he came in. I think that was, what, 2016? I think so. Yeah. Was that the world meeting of families or something like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. That was the year I was coming back to the church, so I really didn't pay attention to what the Pope was doing or the fact that the Pope was in America. <laughs> or else I probably would have tried to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, I, you know, I would have been fairly close. It would have been not that far of a drive to try to get out there. So, and I do, you know what? I do vaguely remember a group from the university that I think went out or some other people I knew in town that were going out. I think this memory is coming back to me. Hmm. Anyways. But. Well, and it was kind of ironic too, because when we went, we stayed at like this type of summer camp type thing. Uh, just outside of Philadelphia. And it was really ironic because the name of the camp was Camp Saginaw. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) And here we were, SVSU students. (laughs) That's great. Like, what are the, what's the, what's the chance of that happening? But. I have no idea. Yeah, so maybe to. Well, Father, did you have anything? Yeah, maybe to um, just start to wrap it up and and bring it back full circle with Pope Benedict. Um, I know we've mentioned how much we appreciate his writings, but maybe we could just go around and we could each share, like if we had to encourage our listeners to read one thing that Pope Benedict the 16th has written, like what would that one thing be? And I know I, I could start off by saying, um, so I, I, I love a lot of his things, but if I just had to say one, I would say his, um, I think it was an encyclical, um, Deus Caritas Est, which uh, is Latin for God is love is a phenomenal set of reflections on just the nature of love and the fact that God is love and what does that mean? And so love of God and then kind of love of neighbor. It's it's a really just beautiful document. I think out of all of them, it's probably one of the most accessible that I can think of um, for someone who just wants to start out uh, getting introduced to some of his writings. Um, so I would definitely encourage uh, listeners to read that you, you can either go online you can o- order a copy of it but um, deus caritas est or god is love would be the one that i would recommend um, uh, emma how about you do i have to name just one yes just one uh, i would say hmm, man 
I, Spirit of the Liturgy is really, really good. Surprise! But it is, I wouldn't... I, I know, I know. Surprise. Uh, I But I wouldn't necessarily say that would be a good beginner uh, read if somebody's looking to... Nece- like, to start to read Pope Benedict XVI, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that as being the first one. I would recommend the Jesus of Nazareth series uh, is what I would recommend. So, all three of them. So, it's, it's part of a... a a complete work, but they're in three different books. So it's the Jesus of Nazareth series. It's the infancy narratives, the main part of his life. I think it's just called Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, and then Holy Week. So I would say that would be more of a get your feet wet kind of thing with him, uh, just going through the life of Christ. Mary Kate? I would say... um for me, one of my favorite things to read from him uh, is something called Benedictus, and it's a day-by-day um, reflection. And so you can start it, and it starts like with the days of the year. Um, and so it's just got some really amazing um, reflections on tons of different things in the church. I know I've, I've shown it to um, Emma before when we've been talking about different episodes that we want to record and whatnot, and we took took some wisdom from that. Um, and so I would, I would say that's a, another really good starter um, book is just the, the daily reflections because they're not very long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And again, I mean... As Emma showed, I mean, we said just name one and Emma's already got four out there. And I, I obviously we could all mention, you know, <laughs> several writings of his. Um, and so we just encourage you to just find something and start reading it. But those are at least some suggestions of how to um, start out. And I, I think one last thing to go back to something that I think Emma was saying when she was sharing her reflection on um, how it is that just Pope Benedict the Sixteenth lived his papacy and like what you can see in his writings is that he wrote out of a relationship of with with Jesus like he wrote from a place of prayer and maybe the last thing I would share is that I was just very personally moved when I heard what his last words were which were Jesus I love you right those were the last words before he died and it's like so much for this you know conservative rigid figure and you know he was very learned but you you can tell that he wasn't just writing these academic papers about this historical figure he's writing out of this lived relationship with a person the person of jesus and so um for that we're just very grateful for um, the leadership of this spiritual father and how he um, sought to lead as best he could as imperfect as he was as anybody is and uh, wrote from a place of that lived relationship with jesus so i thought i could maybe close with a prayer that is prayed. Uh, it was prayed at his funeral mass, and even I was praying uh, this prayer when when you're praying in memory of a pope who has passed. So maybe I'll just close with this prayer, and then we can kind of go around and share our one joys. So let us pray. O God, who in your wondrous providence chose your servant Benedict to preside over your church, grant we pray that having served as the vicar of your son on earth. He may be welcomed by him into eternal glory, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, amen. Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Spirit, amen. Great. Thanks, ladies. Uh, Mary-Kate, what's your one joy? 
Um, all right. My one joy is that um, earlier in the week, um, Jason and I actually got pre-approved to buy a house. Excellent. So now begins the house hunt. So if the listeners could all pray for Jason and I as we search for a house, we would greatly appreciate it. Absolutely. Emma, go for it. Okay, Father, you have to go because I, I'm still thinking, so can you please oh, go? Okay, I can go. Um, so, well, I didn't ask permission, but hopefully this is okay to share. Um, so my sister is pregnant, and she's about, what, maybe four and a half, five months along when this episode comes out. And she's having a little baby girl, so if you could just keep her and her husband and the little baby girl in your prayers. Um, it's very exciting. So she's due... Um, end of May, and I know that she listens to the podcast, so if you could uh, lift up a prayer for her and just their physical and spiritual well-being in this time, that would be greatly appreciated, but that has definitely been a source of joy for the family these past few months. So he's going to be Uncle Father Kevin. Or Father Uncle. We we have yet to decide. Funkle. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) priorities emma did you have enough time to think of something um yeah yeah it's more of yeah my one joy is actually uh there's uh myself and and like three other ladies that that were we've kind of i think we be like good friends right but then it's also turned into this really just beautiful uh group of just prayer partners right that just pray for each other and so uh it's me with three others and just some uh beautiful uh, just life experiences coming together uh, and also just this heart to pray for one another. So it's very beautiful. I'm very grateful for them. Uh, and I mean, just like I said, different experiences in life, uh, different walks, but also this willingness to just kind of get in the nitty gritty uh, to journey with one another is is so beautiful. So I'm grateful for them. Uh, so that's my one joy. Uh, and yeah. Great. Well, again, it was good to be able to try to make this work. And I'm sure afterwards we're going to, you know, listen to this back and make sure that it's good quality. But we just wanted to get something going and get something out there. So um, we hope that you guys enjoyed this conversation and we look forward to more episodes to come. So thanks for tuning in. Yeah, thank you. And we'll yeah catch you next week. Now I have to figure out how to God stop bless. recording this. <laughs> okay.